All right. Uh, we good to go here? Oh, I, did I leave my glasses back there? I think I did. Oh, well. Surprise, I don't have to have them. All right. Um, so Derek, I uh, was glad to have Derek uh, fill in for me last week. Love Derek, and I, I think it's a wonderful thing for, for us to, I mean, if you want to bring him up here. Uh, I think it's just, it's a real gift. I can't go out of the camera. Everyone at home will be like, what's happening? Um, to have him in the area where he can fill in like that and, you, and, and we can experience um, what an academic conversation looks like. Um, this, is, I'm, this is no judgment on what, how Derek approached last week. I thought he did a, great, a really great job. I also am aware that for many of you, you may have uh, like, ooh, Still looking for where where he was. Um, the great thing about that, though, is every time we engage with something that's up at that level, the next time we engage with it, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar, or that um, sounds correct. Also, I love that uh, when we when we get to do these things, Derek was able to be himself um, and highlight some things that that he focuses in on that I necessarily wouldn't focus in on because I'm me and he's him and you know, probably not going to look for quotes from John Calvin, whereas Derek loves to find John Calvin quotes, which is all good. Um, now next week, uh, Joel will be here. Uh, Joel is, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. He's the reason why I got this job, the reason why I'm here um, at Timberwood. He was uh, one of my professors that then was also uh, my, the teaching pastor at my church. And through a series of, of events, he said, yeah, I really think you should work at a church, and I think the church that you should work at is Timberwood. Um, Tom happened to be down looking, uh, meeting with Joel, and we passed each other in the hallway, and I didn't know Tom from anyone, but I knew Joel. And Joel, as they walked by, Joel looked at Tom and said, that's the guy you should hire for the job you're looking for. And I, I had no idea what he was even talking about. So, Joel currently is the executive director for the Center for Pastor Theologians, um, which I'm a part of his local group in the Greater Twin, Greater Minnesota Center for Pastor Theologians group. They're all from the metro, but I'm from here, so I said, well, we can't say Twin Cities. I'm like, I live in Nisswa, so we call it the Greater Minnesota group. Um, so you will get to see, uh, as I've said, you'll get to see what an academic person does when they approach a text. You get to see what I do. <laughs> And then you get to see what a professional does, uh, who is a true pastor theologian uh, in Joel. So I really look forward to you guys having him 
having him here with you. So let's pray, and then I would, we're going to start off in a little different direction um, tonight. We're going to start out in Psalm 42, uh, and then talk through uh, some of that, and then we'll get into Ephesians 4 um, after that. So, Father God, we come together tonight in a unique way, and yet in a familiar way that has us all in this room that is normal and comfortable and familiar. And for many of us, there is anything but comfort in our hearts and in our souls tonight. And yet we come and we gather because that is what it means to be a body. That is what it means to be united in you. And so we come tonight in our brokenness, seeking the healing that only comes through you and through your spirit as you work in and through us as a body to help heal one another. We come tonight with open hands and open arms not to get answers, but to experience you. So be with us tonight. Guide us along this path. Be our light in the midst of the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42 says this. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversary taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As probably all of you know about the loss of Saray and Ashley, we have this opportunity to come together. You know, I've been wondering, like, how much can a human person actually cry? (laughs) I was talking to my friend who's a therapist last night, and he said, Make sure you're hydrated. (laughs) So we've been talking throughout the book of Ephesians about how we be the body. And in light of where we're at, we get to be the body in a way that none of us ever want to be the body. And for For many of us, even the concept of lamenting feels wrong. It feels inappropriate. It feels unchristian. Much like doubting feels as if we don't believe, lamenting feels as if we don't trust in who God is. And yet if we are the people of the book, then we are the people of lament. We have an entire book of Lamentations where the writer cries out to God about what is going on in this world. We have psalm after psalm of lament about, God, what are you doing in abandoning me? And and in this group that I'm in, in the cities, uh, we go through a book every month or every two months and And this last month, I was telling you about this meeting, and we went through this book, Embodied Hope, a theological meditation on pain and suffering. And I just laugh at God and say, how dare you prepare me for something like this? But in this book, the author talks about when we go to God and lament And we ask God question after question after question, seeking answers. God doesn't give us answers. And in our anger, we get more frustrated with God and we say, God, why won't you answer me? And rather than giving us an answer, he gives us himself. Rather than answering why God... He gives us his son. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his body, which is the church. And for many of us, the emotions that we have and we possess can be very uncomfortable. And yet, again, we serve a living God who in the flesh was constantly experiencing and expressing emotion. 
when Jesus' best friend dies or his dear friend Lazarus dies, Jesus is broken. And yes, Jesus has the ability to raise him from the dead, and none of us are Jesus. When Jesus enters the city on Palm Sunday, Jesus' heart is broken, and Jesus cries. He expresses the emotions that are in his humanness. And as somebody said this morning, we love to talk about human baby Jesus, and we love to talk about on the cross, dying Jesus. But we don't often talk about the humanity of Jesus in the middle. Where he enters into the temple and he's so frustrated about what is happening in his father's house that he tips over the tables and he's angry and he's emotional. And so in these times and in these moments, we have freedom, we have examples, we have our Savior expressing emotions in ways that are perfectly acceptable. So I encourage us in these days and weeks and months and years ahead as we, as we encounter things like this, we can go to God and we can lament and we can be angry and we can be frustrated and we can be upset and we can cry and we can wail and we can scream and we can laugh and we can feel everything that we are feeling because God is sovereign. Because God loves us for who we are and all of who we are. And the moment when we think we've overcome and we tell ourselves, oh, thankfully I've gotten over it. We get in our vehicles and we cry until we stop. Because grief is not something we get over, it's something we go through. And grief is, in isolation is torture, but grief in community is healing. And every lament that exists in the Bible is not a lament without hope. We can be angry with God and we can hope in God at the same time. And our anger in God is not what he has done. Our anger is at death and the reality that death is the enemy of life. And so tonight we come into this place, and, and for some of us, I fully acknowledge that, that for some of us, we don't, even, we don't even know these people. But as we've talked about, when we stub our toe... Our body hurts. When we injure a part of the body, the rest of the body hurts. And so tonight, we acknowledge that the body is hurting. And so we hurt together.
and I grant you all the permission that you need to feel what you're feeling. And there is no judgment on the things that we say in our pain, in our anger, in our grief. Because God is with us. Jesus, when the woman is about to be stoned, he doesn't stand above her, he gets in the dirt with her. So we gather to get in the dirt and the muck and the mire to hurt. And yes, it's, it's incredibly interesting that we find ourselves in this passage tonight. And, and at times we look at this passage and we say, look at what God has done to bring this passage to this place tonight. And what I would say is, amen. And also there's countless passages that we could be in tonight that would fit perfectly with what we need to talk about and what we need to feel and what we need to engage with. But thank the Lord we're done with judges. <laughs> That's what Michael said. I think if we were still in judges, we probably wouldn't stay in judges for tonight. <laughs> but because we are in Paul, and what Paul has to say to the body is so appropriate for us to hear tonight. Paul, after this prayer, he gives us this transitional therefore. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and women. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all maintain to the unity and until we all maintain until we all attain <laughs> to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him 
who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul has this grand transition And he says, I therefore, and, and many commentators want to talk about how the, the first part of Ephesians is about talking about doctrine, and the second part of Ephesians is talking about practicality, or if you want to talk about orthodox belief and orthoprax lifestyle. But he's saying, because of what I have already said and the prayers that I have already prayed, oh, by the way, I'm a prisoner for the Lord in case you forgot, I am urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And if we remember back all the way back to the beginning, Paul is talking about this heavenly calling from which we have been called, that God has invited us. This calling is an invitation by God for us to join him along this journey together. And so now what he's saying is he's calling us to walk worthy of the calling, walk in a manner that, that is worthy of the place that we have in Christ. And this imagery of walking is to live a lifestyle. And for so often we, we think about this idea of what does it mean to be saved, and it means to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. It does mean that. And Paul is saying, and if that is true, then everything else after that should look differently. We should walk in a manner that reflects the decision that we made and the acceptance of Jesus Christ and the invitation that God has placed on our lives to be with him. Or to say it a different way, if we are a part of a family, we want to reflect who our family is. And if you remember being a kid, my mom was a seventh grade teacher when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> I couldn't get away with anything. Oh, you're Mary Lou's son. Okay, let me go tell her what you just did. Now, realistically, I didn't do anything because I was a wonderful child. Until <laughs> my sophomore year of high school, and then I went off the rails for a while, okay? And in those times, I did not walk worthy of my name. But it, that is the imagery that Paul is talking about. We are given a royal name that is a follower of Jesus Christ, and therefore, as we live and, and go about our lives, we should reflect that. And we all know that, that for many people, when they intersect with a follower of Jesus Christ, the question is, if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want nothing to do with that. If that's how followers of Christ act, I, I don't want that. I don't want to participate in that. So when we defame the name that we have been called to embody, it's a way of taking the Lord's name in vain through the way we live. And we don't ever think about that. See, I don't cuss. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. 
except every time I make a decision in public where I betray my allegiance to Jesus Christ, and somebody says, ooh, I thought that person was a Christian. Paul is saying how we act matters. How we live out our lives matters. It doesn't matter in the sense that we are somehow higher up or less in God's kingdom, but it matters in how we reflect who God is. And so he gives us some suggestions on how we are to live, or he gives us some some commands. This is what it looks like to live worthy of the calling which you have been called to. And Paul, the person who gave us the fruit of the Spirit, loves to give us some of these lists. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. This is a list of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Humility, not thinking too highly of ourselves. This is a challenge for me. It always has been a challenge for me. This morning I made an amazing baby hook shot. And I was like, to the guy that was guarding me. Because sometimes I'm not very humble. And I acknowledge that and I repent of it on a regular basis. I think it was the only shot I made all morning. But when we look at humility and gentleness, when we look at being unified together and we are humble and gentle, and again, there's this movement actually to reject this concept. No, Jesus was a warrior. He's a warrior. He's a battler. So we got to be warriors for Christ. The challenge is when we lack humility and gentleness and we are in relationship, those relationships are not real healthy or effective. And as we look forward to Ephesians chapter 5, when we talk about this concept of submission, we have to remember back to here, because Paul is talking about being unified and mutual submission. And how do we get to mutual submission? It starts with being humble and thinking less of ourselves. It's not that, it's not that we think less of ourselves, it's that we think of ourselves less. And that's not a quote from me. I don't know who it's from, but I know it wasn't from me, and I'm not trying to plagiarize. Just acknowledging it's a great quote. And gentleness is gentleness. We know what gentleness looks like, and we know what gentleness doesn't look like, and the world doesn't like gentleness. The world likes strength and power and assertiveness, and the kingdom of God doesn't like that. It's not what the kingdom of God is about, to walk in a way of humility and gentleness and patience. Again, we just, these are things that are, are so hard because our humanness fights against all of them. But our call to live as followers of Christ is to embody these things. 
bearing with one another in love. And we see this four-part way to live. And it's so hard to embody, especially in a body. Because when you do something that I don't like, and I don't have patience with you, I have a hard time bearing with you. And Tom and I were on the phone yesterday, and we were both yelling not at each other, (laughs) but we were both ranting because we were losing hold of the ability to bear with certain individuals. And Paul reminds us, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I repent and I say, you're right, God, I'm sorry. Because to bear with one another in love is to allow each other to wrestle and struggle and be different and to be on this trajectory of spiritual formation where we all are not the same We are all not in the same place, but we are all together in the same body. Likewise, in a similar way, when somebody is hurting, we bear their burdens with them. And so as our friends and our family members are hurting, we go and we are with them and we are in the pit and it is uncomfortable and it hurts and it breaks us. And it would be so much easier to remove ourselves and to find freedom and escape. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I know we say, I'm tired of crying and I just can't cry anymore. I understand. And yet the call of Christ is to bear with one another. And what does it do? What do all of these things do? It produces this eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm sure glad we chose two weeks for this passage. When we talk about unity in the spirit, so often we think about unity of mind, meaning cognitive agreement around essentials, and that is part of it. And so the body is united around the center of essentials that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we are eager to maintain unity. The challenge is when we dissect unity of presence and unity of agreement. Because the body is made up of a multitude of individuals that are all different. And on my way here, I was finishing up listening to the Holy Post, which is what I do on Wednesday afternoons as I'm kind of wrapping up my mind around this. And the pastor who was the interview this afternoon is a Hispanic pastor uh, from Florida. And he said, unity is not uniformity. And I said, amen, brother. 
Unity is not uniformity. When we come to be a part of the body, it's not that we are all the same. It's not that we all assimilate into oneness, into the sameness. It's that we are all unique and united. And so we are eager to maintain unity of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, around the essential, and part of that unity is to physically be with one another. As Paul talks about in the Roman church, it's about hospitality, and unity is to be together in hospitality. And how easy is it for us to say, yes, we all agree on these certain things, I just don't, frankly, want to spend any time with you. Because I don't really like you. Because you think differently than I do. Well, we fall into the trap of partisanship or nationalism or tribalism within the body. Well, you go to such and such church. So, I'm sorry. I don't really want to spend time with you. And we miss out on the reality that the unity is of the full body of Christ, united around Christ, so that we are together even though we are different. So that we unite in fellowship in the middle of our difference. I've had friends that are like, how can you spend time with that person? They don't agree with most of what you think. And I say, well, we agree on Christ? Yeah, but they're so far different than you. Amen. We're not called to be the same. Unity that Paul speaks of is not sameness. It's togetherness around Christ. And we want to say, well, well, let's get out the essential book. And what I would contend is every essential we try to add is a barrier that we talked about a few weeks ago that needs to be destroyed. Well, this has to be an essential. Who says? I say, okay. I didn't realize you wrote the Bible. Well, you know, that church believes this. How could they be a part of the body? Well, that's... That's why we don't go to their church, but that doesn't mean we're still not a part of the body. That we still can't be together and be united in Christ. And oh, by the way, united of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. No division, no faction. No warring within the body, because how often is it that the body does the most damage to what the body is to do by the infighting that exists within the body? We attack and cannibalize those who are our own people, who are in Christ because they disagree with certain things that are on the periphery. And Paul says we must get rid of that. And oftentimes that comes because we've skipped over what he talks about in verse 2. We're not humble, we're not gentle, we're not patient, and we don't bear with one another. Funny, 
We don't often want to amen that. And then Paul reiterates with all of these ones. There's seven of them. One body, one spirit, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is reminding us about the oneness. The oneness of God tells us about what it means to be oneness in the body. And we are all anchored around this oneness. And then he talks about what God has given us. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is Christ's gift? Well, we go back to what we've been talking about in chapter 3. And then he gets in and he quotes this thing and he's like, wait, what are you even talking about? This ascending versus descending and what is so confusing? And Paul is quoting out of Psalms, but he's quoting in a particular way that we say, is he misquoting scripture? And what he's trying to communicate is that Jesus Christ came to us and he came to be with us and he went back to be with his father. And in that, what does he do? He gives these responsibilities to his church. He equips those who are in the church to do these things. And we very easily get caught up into this list. And we say, well, uh, okay, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Okay, uh, I'm not any of those things. But he says he, this is to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Yeah, Russ is like, I'm a saint. We are all saints, remember? If we are in Christ, we are a saint. And so God is equipping the saints to do the ministry of the body. And we have totally screwed this up. We have totally screwed this up. Because we have created a system where the person who is up here is somehow the professional. Hello. And the people that are out there are somehow the, the amateurs or the lay people. So we have this clergy-laity divide, and, and, and then it becomes, yep, you know what? Spend three years at Bethel Seminary getting a degree so that I could stand up here and do these things. Or on the flip side, I couldn't do that because I haven't been to seminary. And we have created this professional ministry mindset, which is not biblical. I'll say it again. This model is not biblical. And Carla's mind is just like, then what are you doing up there? I want to stand up there. It's fascinating because Paul says that God is equipping all the saints to do the ministry. To do the ministry. 
We all are the same. We all have been given gifts and have been equipped to do the ministry of the body of Christ. Like, I just want to show up. I hate to tell you, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. Paul tells us that when we are saints, when we are in Christ, we are given these gifts to do these things. That is what the body is to do. But for some reason, we have been convinced that we're either not prepared or not equipped to do these things. And that is a lie of the devil that has chained us to our chairs or our pews and made the body dependent on a head who is somehow the almighty and all-powerful authority to, to dictate to the rest of the body. And we come and we show up, we open up our brains, we get dumped into, and then we go out and we live our lives. The challenge is that isn't what Paul is talking about. And you're like, okay, where are you going to work tomorrow, Eric? (laughs) I don't care about tomorrow. I just want to make it through today. But we are missing out on what the body is to do. To be in Christ is to walk by the, by the calling that God has created for us and called us to in this posture and equipped us to do the work of ministry. We're building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we are all to be in work, doing the work of what God has called us to do. Ministry isn't a thing that we do. It's a lifestyle in which we live. That we have been equipped for. And so we can either reject what the Bible says, which I think many of us are not really that interested in doing. Or we can say, Oh my word, I have been equipped for the work of ministry. I'm going to challenge us. Let's all say that together. I have been equipped for the work of ministry. Every morning when we wake up, we look in the mirror and we say, what are you going to do today? Frankly, a lot of times I don't look in the mirror, but hypothetically speaking, you're like, they tell, I can tell. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sam, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You happen to work in some place that I don't. So you are able to go and do ministry in areas that I will never be able to go. What a beautiful, amazing thing. And what does it produce? It produces unity. And we work until we all attain unity of the faith into maturity. And this concept of maturity is a slippery one, which I would say we look back to verse 2. 
so that we, what are we trying to do? We're trying to attain the status of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul is acknowledging that there are things in this world that are seeking to infiltrate and to buffet us and to move us off the center that is Christ. I mean, we could just go down the list. We could go down the list of all the things that seek to infiltrate us and move us off of the center of Christ. And typically it doesn't start with a full frontal attack. These winds of doctrine and human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. One guy said, it's easy to see when the devil shows up and he's a talking snake. (laughs) You're like, oh, there's the devil. Or in every movie that the devil shows up, he's typically dressed in black and has a disgusting face. And as this guy said, and worms crawling out of his nose. And you say, oh, well, there's the devil. And we know that that's not how it works. Because he is cunning and the world is seeking to get us off of our mooring that is Jesus Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I know we're we're, uh, basically out of time. But we have to acknowledge, and and now you see why this was such an important thing that we're going to spend two weeks on it. But I want us to think about this in verse 15 when when Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. We so often get this so wrong. Because when we go back to verses, verse 2, with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, and we want to speak the truth in love into someone's life, there's a wide variety of ways we can do it. But there's only one way in which we are called to do it as followers of Jesus Christ. And if we are going to choose to speak the truth in love because we got to stand for truth, says right here in Scripture, speak the truth. Yeah, in love. I'm doing it in love. <laughs> really? Because I'm pretty sure if we're doing it not in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, it doesn't matter what we're about to say. Speaking the truth outside of humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another isn't about Jesus Christ, it's about me. I place myself as God. I place myself at the front 
And I say, well, I've got to stand for the truth. And Jesus says, okay, then just do it someplace else. Because this speaking of the truth is from humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And until we've done that, speaking the truth in love is an afterthought. Speaking the truth in love is grandstanding. And my friend last night, we were talking and through all of these things, and, and uh, I have this shirt that a different friend gave me that says, it's what I do. I make pancakes, and I know things. And for my whole life, I've sought to know the most things that I could ever know. I prided myself in apologetical approaches so that I could argue anyone into the kingdom of God because I was going to speak the truth. And he says, Eric, what, what has happened to that part of you? Where have you put that part? And how have you dealt with it? Because when my wife says, well, I don't know, why don't you call Eric? <laughs> that person sitting in silence not answering questions is a different person. And I say, no, it's the same person I've just tried to embrace these things that Paul is calling us to. And it is hard. Because gentleness and humility and patience and bearing with one another is not something that we do easily or that we do well because we are all human beings. You can go to your groups. <laughs>